know that there's 98% of the country that knows exactly who Ryman Ranch is, but for the 2% that don't or the 2% that find the podcast and want to learn about them, I'm just going to do a brief overview of the operation and you guys can pitch in if you think I've missed anything. So anyways, today we're in, we're interviewing the Ryman Ranches and Barry Ryman of Rehite, South Dakota. And uh, I guess just for anyone that has never made the trip up to North Central South Dakota or Central South Dakota, our east of Pier, they're a massive operation, heck, have a heck of a club calf sale. Their fall sale is in September every year. And uh, don't be afraid to reach out to Barry or surf the web at RymanRanches.com for uh, more sale information as the years progress. Okay, here's my, here's my one other uh, Nick Ryman story. He was a truly talented individual. It's just, it's like the day that you are raised at a successful operation, the day that you realize, I think I can do this on my own. Is a, it's really a growth day. And what I mean specifically by that is, I mean, Nick would take the bull by the horns and he would put himself in position. It's like what uh, Brian said on, Brian Martin said on the podcast the other day, you accumulate some of the best cows in the country and then the, uh, the great ones pay for the ones the mark in terms of how they, what, what they can do for your operation. And I just, I just want to make mention and make, make light on the fact that Nick made stuff happen. And uh, I just, I think it needs to be highlighted that uh, whenever you are raised in this situation where you guys are already successful, but then Nick discovers that if he is aggressive, he can make more stuff happen. And now we join Kevin Mears interviewing Barry Ryman of South Dakota. All right. Well, uh, I guess the, I guess like they say on those Hollywood movies, the best place to start is probably the beginning. And uh, Barry and I talked a little bit about it earlier today, but why don't you just kind of give uh, a brief history of kind of how, how it started and, and basically, you know, how Grandpa started things there. Okay. So I, I'm the third generation, guys. And my grandpa, Donnie, um, he's... Uh, He's 90 years old. He was in uh, in the service, went to the Korean War, and uh, out of the service, um, he drove a bread truck for a couple of years. And uh, all jokes aside, um, he knew that wasn't an answer to what he's looking at in life, and uh, he started uh, <laughs> a couple of people helped him, and he got some acres added up, and he started taking cattle in for people, and then eventually. Um, um, he started buying cattle of his own and, and did a lot of custom feeding. Um, he was a plunger. Um, the Jennings brothers, I don't, I don't know if you guys know them, but there's been a couple out of autobiographies about those guys. I mean, they were real instrumental in this, in this country. I mean, I thousands, got, and thousands of acres of ground. I met Clayton Jennings when he was a really old man and his, Anybody who wants to read something cool, I've read his autobiographies, and yep. that guy did some crazy stuff. And 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 in our previous conversations or conversations that I had with Nick, your dad had some involvement with him, or your your grandpa had some involvement with him, and kind of watched him. And am I understanding it right that wasn't real keen on the on the show cattle business to start with? Correct, correct. And and he wasn't. So say for example, Clayton, like I took my. I took my grandpa to Denver when we gave that award out for Nick that one year. And, and I showed him the old um, sale barn and all, they had all those pictures up of champion carload bull, 1960s, seventies and Jennings cattle, which was Ankeny ranches and stuff like that. Picture after picture after picture. Cause they were, you know, they were the premier breed breeder. Um, and uh, so they started AI and, and my grandpa wasn't too keen on AI. And I mean, he didn't have enough time. I mean, when Nick and I, you know, my dad started AI and cows. And I mean, he'd, he'd try to turn bulls out and cows were AI. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he just didn't believe in it. Not, not a real good production scheme to get AI calves. <laughs> no. So... So okay, let's 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 start right now. How many cows is Ryman Ranch total? 
Um, you and Dad, Nora, the ranch right now. It's uh, it's it's getting up there. I mean, it's on a dry year, it's way too many, and a wet year, it's not enough. <laughs> am I am I safe to say probably somewhere batting between fifteen hundred and two thousand? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I kind of okay. Now, how many cows did Grandpa run, and how many cows were there when when got back from Oklahoma State and said, "Hey, brother, Dad, let's raise club calves." How many cows were there at that time? Um, about 500. About 500. And those were all strictly commercial cows. I mean, they were they were probably some of the, the cheaper, wilder, sale barn looking cattle you could find. Big country cows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and, and um, when I was younger, um, you know, we bought all Charlotte bulls, you know, because it was, you know, you background your cattle, you want big calves that, you, you know, you wean and uh, and boom. You know, it's uh, weight sells. And just, just selling feeder cattle or, or, or cattle at that time, just however heavy you can wean them suckers off and, and, and go like that. Correct. So Correct. now how Nick was older, right? Nick was two years older than myself. So two years older. So how old are you now, Barry? I'm 39. 39. You know, now that I'm almost 49, 39 sounds really young. <laughs> um, so... Nick went to Oklahoma State and hung out with Griswold and played with cows. And you went to Brookings or somewhere up there close by and got a finance degree. Am I right on that? Well, I went to South Dakota State and I actually, uh, I wasn't, I mean, I did a little bit of livestock judging, but I actually played collegiate rugby. rugby. Oh, man. And, and yeah, and I did that for, uh, for my years up there. And it was, I, uh, I, uh, it was a lot of fun. It took a little toll on my body, but you know what? It was damn sure worth it. Yeah. Yeah. My niece played rugby, uh, at college, uh, at Lee college in Tennessee. And I remember they played Ohio state and that just basically looks like, a, like kind of a cross between, uh, f- football and soccer. and and to see these girls and my niece she's not dainty but she's not a big girl by any means that they could hit hard i mean that was (laughs) it was pretty intense i remember that was like my wife and i's one of our first dates was we went to see that game and then do an ohio state football game i'm not too sure that rugby wasn't hitting as hard as they were that day when nebraska played ohio state well i can promise you we played some big 10 and big 12 schools and we got by. We got beat by at least by fifty points. <laughs> okay, we were uh, we were a bunch of kind of renegades. I mean, a lot of college football players, you know, that you know didn't work out. A lot of military guys, you know, stayed in shape and stuff like that. And so, uh, so I made the comment earlier, uh, Matt, when Barry and I was talking about Grandpa. I've been a grand his grand and. Uh, uh, he kind of pretty direct and pretty blunt and tells you exactly the way it is. And, uh, I'm betting he would not have been one to tangle with in his younger days. And, uh, sounds like for as, as nice as Barry is, you wouldn't want to grab hold of him either. If he played college <laughs> rugby, yeah. we're not going to get in any disagreements. <laughs> okay. So now I, I thought finance because didn't you work at a bank there at one time? I, so out of college, um, I worked for ADM. Okay. And, and I was a commodity broker. I got, I got, I got my series, uh, three and 30 and, and 770 license to, to trade commodities. Um, and that's, that's what I did for a couple of years out of college. Now I can remember very vividly, um, being there at the ranch one time and, and you coming up on a four wheeler, uh, asked Nick to do this, that, or the other, had a little meeting about what needed done next. And uh, him saying that you had a real good job and you decided to come home to, to help that maybe there was a little more money on, on, on the, on the ranch than, than it was in the commodities. Is that right? Um, <laughs> every week was a little different. Every week was <laughs> a little different. Okay. It, it, uh, I, you know, it, uh, I mean, there was, I mean, it was darn sure a little, you know, um, I don't know, you know, I kind of had something, you know, going where, 
you know, it was in 06 when corn got real high and, and then real low and, you know, the market trapped a lot of people and, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't too fun getting margin calls, you know, or calling people for money and stuff like that. So the opportunity to go home and farm with or, or raise cattle with brother and dad was, was a pretty good opportunity. It was. And, you know, my dad growing up, you know, we always had, you know, one or two guys, you know, to help out. And, you know, he approached me saying, hey, you know, I need some help. You know, I'm either going to let some ground go or, you know, uh, you can move home. And uh, I chose uh, I chose a ladder. Would you say your dad's more of a livestock man or more of a farmer? Um, you know, I would say, uh, God, I, I would say about 50-50. I mean. I've never heard a farmer ever want to actually let land go. So I thought maybe your dad, he was going to say he's more of a livestock guy. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, and my dad, uh, you know, um, a little tidbit of my dad, my dad played college football at North Dakota and, um, you know, uh, he uh he has a couple good stories too (laughs) okay okay well uh so nick comes home from college there's about 500 head of cows and nick nick has a little little gathering up around the family and say hey i think we need to do this there's money in it raising the club calves yes and and you know throughout the summers you know we were doing it um you know we sold our uh uh, I remember to this day, um, we sold our very first club calf to George Benda from Minnesota. And, um, you know, I think we got 1500 bucks, but when you only AI, um, you know, 15, 18 cows, that's a big deal. And it just really kind of lit a fire under, under more Nick than me. And, uh, you know, when he moved down South for college, I mean, he kind of, you know, he really kind of, I could kind of tell that's something he really wanted to do. Um, and to me, I, I just, uh, I just went along with it. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, um, at what point did he come home from college and you guys bought the beetle spocker cow herd? Correct. Correct. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. At that time, that was, that was a big deal. You well, know. yeah, th- that was something that, I mean, everybody heard about that all the way back here in Ohio and, and there wasn't the social media and the Facebook and the Twitter and, you know, it was just kind of word of mouth, but that, that reached out here pretty quick. That was a pretty big, bold move. How many cows was in that acquisition? 300. 300. So you guys went from, from 500, add those 300 pretty, pretty quick. Correct. Correct. Yep. And then, and then at that time, then, you know, at that time, AI was real popular. It was kind of getting a little bit before the embryo transfer. And then, you know, we really started building our numbers, the choir recept cows. Gotcha. And then that's when the numbers really started showing up. <laughs> Adding the recept. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Now, I remember right in there about that same time, um, are we talking when did what do you remember what year that was he bought those cows um i think 2009 2009 okay and about i see i was thinking like 10 or 12 10 or 11 is when he bought upgrade yeah because i remember that upgrade caused a i mean he like bought them and sold part of them to some other people the next couple days and uh, he got to be a real popular bull real quick because Nick kind of set his set his satchel down on that bull, and uh, that was more just to make the maternal females to make club calves. That is correct. That is correct. Yeah, and we actually uh, it was a neighbor, you know, um, John Christensen, about about twenty five miles to the east of us, raised that bull. Gotcha. Now. Kind of how I remember being up there and we talked about this earlier about how Nick kind of ran production, kind of uh, how what percentage of cows now. I remember being there one time when Nick was AI and up there and you guys kind of all kind of blanket breed your heifers. Is that still the way you guys do it? And then bull breed the two year olds? Yeah, um, anymore, what we try to do um, for us, 
it for conception rate it, for heifers it, we've tried a lot of different methods naturally watching them um syncing them all together you know syncing them and watching them and for us the conception is always the same so typically what we do is we just uh you know do a seven day cedar um mass breed them put them in two different we do two different groups so when we're calving we don't get you know a couple hundred you know that are due to come real quick um and then as far as our two-year-olds we actually switch to ai and our two-year-olds and what we do with those is we uh we synchronize those and we mass breed them mass mass ai yeah so how many of them replacements how many of them uh virgin heifers will you guys breed each year um right around 200 and are you guys still selling a good jag of them as through your bread heifer sales no no you, we, we we quit doing that and um we just kind of thought you know after that dispersal we're, we're low on numbers um and to me um selling those bread heifers you know it's it's kind of hard um to me it's it's easier to uh to sell those things uh as a calf i got you well you tied on the dispersal and, and let's let's come back to that because um and we're we're right at the anniversary of it was it seven or eight years ago we lost your brother eight eight years ago actually this past week wasn't it correct so eight years ago we unfortunately we, we lose nick and then you guys kind of sit for um, how long was it until we had the dispersal was it was it almost a full well it was it was the following november december january that is correct it was actually in february it was in february because you guys calve a little later it is yeah so 10 months after we lose Nick, you guys sit down, grandpa, you, dad, Nora, we have the discussion. Okay, guys, this was Nick's deal. We got a lot of irons in the fire. We're going to sell these club calf cows. It's going to sell the show cattle. Is that kind of correct? That is correct. And we sold every animal except for our, uh, except for our partnership donors. And also um, we kept all of our, uh, all of our bred heifers because they were actually calving by the time, um, when we set the sale and, and they were bred for probably maternal stuff, probably Angus sired, Simmental sired. They weren't really club calf bred. Anyhow, were they? Well, the bred heifers, um, they're all AI, uh, low birth weight Angus bulls, but I mean, they, they darn sure, you know, we just couldn't, it was too many cow to sell. And we just kind of figured, you know, it was either have a sale without the bred heifers or not have a sale at all. Just based off of, cause they calved about a month earlier. Gotcha. Now, I know from talks with you and I, and I think your dad a fair bit right there when that time uh, was going on that you guys sold a big jag of embryos and a big jag of semen inventory. They're on some online sales, maybe shortly after or right in that time as well. But and we joked about this earlier when when, when Nick passed, the, the joke always was is there was an entire filing cabinet at Oneida, at Yakley, South Dakota, Oneida, Transova, that was pretty much just Ryman Ranch. <laughs> yeah, you're not as volume of, of embryos still on on hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and a, I've been uh, to that office. I know there's, I, I know the filing cabinets in Steve Yakley's office. So, and that's something else I want to get on tie into. But I want to kind of just. Uh, because I guess I've never asked the question, and I consider myself to be pretty good friends with you guys and come up there quite a bit. But where did it go from, okay, we've dispersed the cows. We're still going to put in the rest of these embryos because we can't sell all of them. Mm -hmm. We're still going to have – we're still going to – you know, basically, we're going to put these eggs in until we're done. We're going to keep some partnership cows because uh, you guys are actually probably bigger – and raising more numbers of club calves than, than you did when we lost Nick. Where did that kind of go from, hey, we're not going to do this to, okay, we're all in and, and doing it full steam ahead? Well, it's uh, – <laughs> so that first year we put embryos in and, and had a sale, and, you know, the sale was just okay, you know, as far as that next year. But that was the year that maternal maid got real popular. And uh, – 
And, you know, we took that bowl to Denver and, uh, and Griswold's bought it. And I kind of realized right then and there that, you know what, um, this is pretty darn cool. And if a guy chooses not to stay in this business, you know, you're going to lose a lot of friendships or not lose friendships, but you're, you know, going to drift away from a lot of friends. Um, yeah. That's part of the great thing about this business is, uh, just the friendships and the acquaintances and, I mean, there's a lot of people where I go taking pictures where it's like family. And uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know if any other industry other than this show world that's quite like that. Yep. And that it really opened. I mean, I had never been to Denver before that year. You know, I, you know, I always stayed home. You know, I didn't really have that much of an interest. Um, and then I kind of realized, you know, hey, you know, there's an opportunity you know, and, and me, it's kind of, it's either, you know, go hard or go home. And, uh, you know, and, and we had good help, you know, um, Gavin, you know, he's been with us for 11 years. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's incredible, you know, and then um, we're real blessed to have him. And by God, he, you know, he really had an interest and, in, you know, um, and we just kept on plowing forward. So you come home from Denver and that was that, that was when you give the, give the award out or was this before that? Um, so yeah, that, that was a week before that was a week before embryos on snow. So did you say to Kent and Nora, Hey, uh, I think we ought to go after this club calf deal a little harder, the show cattle deal, or was it, was it an unspoken thing? Everybody just kind of knew we needed to carry on. We've got some really good stuff and, it was pretty much unspoken. You know, we thought, you know, we had these partnership donors. Let's keep on flushing. And, and before long, the sales, the fall steer sales kept on getting stronger and stronger. And, you know, it's haven't really looked back since. Okay. Now, here's kind of a, going to be a little bit of an interesting question. I'll go back to when Nick told me he bought those Beetlespocker cows. And the way Leroy had bred those cows what was pretty much kind of an art in its own, in its own way. Uh, Nick made the comment that a lot of those cows pedigrees probably wouldn't make a sense to a lot of people, but Leroy gave him a binder or a notebook that kind of told him what those cows had done and kind of gave him an indication of how those cows had worked. So he had kind of a roadmap to make those cows work. You guys sold I mean, I remember being in Dunlap that day. It was kind of a sad day to watch all those cows sell. And, I mean, there was some freaky pieces and some really com complete and, and some really out there. I mean, there was just – it was it really blew my mind just how – some people can brag about how consistent their cow herd was. That was not a consistent set of cows. There were big ones. There were little <laughs> ones. There were tall ones. There were long ones. And I could just see your brother grinning and saying, yeah, I know. Ain't they good? <laughs> he liked them all different shapes and kinds. <laughs> hey, to this day, I still have that green three ring binder. So you still have that binder. Well, that's where I'm getting at. You know, Nick, he was out traveling. He, he talked to all these guys all the time. I can remember three days before he passed him and I being on the phone for about two hours talking about what I'd seen and about this bull and about that bull. He was always talking to people. Uh, he had the connections. He had the ties. He knew the cows. And he was the one, like I said, that time I was there when you guys were breeding, you had Brian Martin breeding and dad, AI and uh, Heidi Bowman, Heidi, um, Heidi Lee now was writing down in a notebook what everything was getting bred to. And Nick was just filling guns, making the matings right there in his head. Yeah. So Nick knew those cows. So now you're kind of starting over without a binder. I mean, <laughs> you kind of had to figure some of that out on your own. And, and I mean, you've done really, really good at it. So um, just how was it figuring that out? Well, to start with, you only hear about the good stories. <laughs> hey, and that's interesting you bring that up. Because this is something I think people will find fascinating. Your pasture sale and that sheet will have close to 100 head of calves. Am I pretty close to that? You are. Okay. How many do we calve out 
Not how many we breed. How, I guess I could ask how many we cat breed. How many do we calve out? How many embryos? How many total calves are bred, mated, eggs put in for that set of 100 calves in that sale pasture? Um, so, you know, we sell those first 100 and we pretty much say, hey, we feel like, as in we, um, John Fortin that works for us, Gavin and myself, you know, we feel like these are the best ones. Um, we sell those things. We put them in the pasture sale and then pretty much, Hey, you know, we have all these extra cattle, um, you know, if anybody's interested and, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you can't hardly keep enough gas in the foilers <laughs> to keep the people looking at the back pastures coming down to my place, the food lot, um, Last year, we sold about, I think, about 250 steers for show cattle or for show steers. 100 in the pasture sale and about 150 out of the feedlot. I heard that feedlot sale this year was absolutely wild. It, yeah, it, it, it was, it was good. And I mean, there's, I think a lot of people did, did made real good money doing it. And I hope they do, you know, because. The way I look at it, we price those things, you know, a little, you know, four or five hundred bucks of a market price. And they go and look at them. And I don't know, you know, you get two or three hundred head of fallen calves in a pen chasing you around with a couple different pens. I mean, it takes a pretty, pretty sharp cattleman to start picking cattle out. That'll work. You betcha. And, and how many total? Because because you've got those and how many total that, that aren't just don't make the cut at all? Um, as far as, um, our ET deal, um, and so ET, a, natural AI stuff you breed to hopefully make a show calf, a sellable show calf. Um, you know, uh, I would say, I would say we're probably less than 15% of our, of our AI and ETs that, um, that don't make the sale and we don't sell, um, um, we finish out ourselves. Um, you know, we sell, we sell about most of all. So you, okay. Well, that's something that's probably changed quite a bit. Cause, uh, like I said, I remember one time being there in March or April and us driving around, Nick and I driving around on, um, I remember it was kind of weird. You didn't have many four wheelers. You had S10 pickup trucks at that time. Everybody was kind of checking calves on. <laughs> Tell the story about that real quick. Why you guys had S10 pickup trucks? <laughs> hey, they'll go through anything. <laughs> they'll go through any. Yeah, he told me they were a hell of a lot cheaper to fix than them four wheelers, and you could get a lot more of them. They you were damn right. <laughs> yep, S10 pickup trucks instead of four wheelers. <laughs> hey, the problem is though, they're getting a little harder to fit into us. Ramen's, you know, we're we're a little broad shoulder and a little taller, so. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, probably set a little more in the middle than you used to, too. Yep, that'll happen. So, uh, so we're going through there, and Nick was laughing and, and, and making a comment back then that everybody sees that group. Of, at that time, it was probably only 75 or 80 calves in that pasture sale. And, and he always laughed. He said, everybody sees those and think how good they are. They don't see the 600 that we calve out to get them and how many train wrecks we have along the way. Yeah. So... You've, you've probably eliminated. We, we have. And the reason is, is um, we keep a lot of the females, you know, for our own. Um, and we use a lot of IVF and a lot of sex male reverse sorting. And that helps a lot. Um, because a lot of the train wrecks, you know, were, say, a wrong sex something a guy is hard to sell um a cripple calf or whatever um and the way that uh the way that uh the judges are picking these cattle now they're a lot more sounder than they were 10 years ago yeah they and, are they are and so for, for sure. us raising them that's a huge deal so now you started basically with that set of I won't say you started, but you kind of moved forward from the dispersal, not even sure what you were going to do. No, we were talking about just utilizing technology and using reverse sort and the fact we're picking these cattle sounder now so we don't have maybe the train wrecks 
that we were when uh, your brother was, you know, swinging for the fence on Heat Wave, probably on every one of them dang things. Yeah, but and and also calving has has became a lot easier. Oh yeah, and that that actually that is kind of an interesting deal. The farther we get, more generations removed from Heat Wave and some of them derivatives, uh, things have gotten a little bit easier, Kevin. Yes. Yes. Now, have you noticed any cap, more calving dystocia with, with the IVF? Because I've heard how out here we don't have as much of it, or maybe, I mean, I guess I've we've heard some horror stories over the years, some of those IVF club calves being huge. Have you guys had much of that? We have. Um, usually every other year we'll have one. You know, they call it the big calf syndrome. Um, IVF... Uh, I'm a big fan of IVF. Um, I believe in, uh, I believe in doing them fresh. Um, so we set up a lot of donor cows and we put embryos in and we do different groups so we can implant as many fresh as possible. Um, and it works like um, we do put all of our work through Transova and they send a courier up with their incubator and start putting embryos in. And you work all with Yakley right there down the road or? Do you work yeah, with... between between Yakley um, and uh, and Sioux Center. Yep. Now, yep. Um, anyone who listens to this that ever gets the chance and gets to, I haven't been to many of the other Transovas, but if you ever get a chance to get to Steve Yakley's and spend some time, that guy's like he is so he's like a general. He's so matter of fact and so disciplined about how everything has to be to make those cows work. And even out here in Ohio, we've sent cows past 10 Transova centers to get to Steve's um, just because that guy is so, I mean, he's a mad scientist on getting that stuff to work. So you're kind of lucky to have him right there close to you. Anybody that goes up there, whether it's talking to him or tours, can learn a great deal about knowledge and cattle and, and working cattle or, genetics or reproductive anatomy oh Um, yeah it's 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 a blessing he's this close i i just uh you know he's a great guy and he it's a top-notch facility there's there's a reason why you know you go there and there's a top cows the charlay hereford simitol angus you know they're all they're all hiding out there yeah one of them pastures he tucked me in, I, there was a can full of Angus cows from Shoffs that, I mean, like half a dozen cows that are generated over a million dollars. And they were all just hanging out. Yeah. Along yeah. with my little $8,500 I-80 cow in the pen next to him. I mean, it was kind of <laughs> like, you know, we really don't belong here. We are with some big cotton. But um, so to get that large number, that leads me to my next question. How many donors there are you guys working with? Um. You know, it's kind of an in and out question. Um, you know, we do a lot of fresh stuff, so you kind of got to sprinkle that deal out a little bit. You know, you, you want to try, you want to try, you know, some newer cows and see if it works. You want to really go and, and bet the farm on them. It's tough, you know. So, what we'll do is, you know, we'll do a lot of flush work, you know, but as far as cows that predominantly stay, at transplant because they're so proven. I would say about a dozen. About a dozen. Yep. That that um, bill's that bill's not not high at all, is it? It that you know the way I look at it though, um, that bill uh, that bill is high. However, uh, however, your return on your cost investment is a lot higher. Oh yeah. Now, okay, this is something I always I always kind of struggle with and. I just have a handful of cows and we put embryos in out there in, in Nebraska and, and, and have my own little sale and we can put about 50 eggs in. And in the back of my mind, I, I always, I've got some Charlays, I've got a Herefords, I've got Mains, I've got Angus and club calf cows. So I put a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I always want to hold just a little bit back for two reasons. One, if it's a train wreck, I don't want to have 10 of them that I'm going to have to get from out from underneath of. And two, I want to save some back to put some in next year if they're really good. Now, 
Tim Heckman tells me that's the totally wrong idea. I need to throw all of them in and just get them all and see if it works. <laughs> that way, you know, I've got the good and the bad. Because <laughs> if I have one that sucks, I probably will never put the one in. They'll give me that $15,000 cap. There's a lot of truth to what Tim Heckman told you. <laughs> what do you guys do? I mean, if you take that cow in and, okay, let's just throw out Kelly. Everybody knows Kelly, or chances are if they've tuned in and listened, they've heard about Kelly. And Kelly, Monopoly, it's worked. So if you make 20 of those IVF, do you just throw them all in or you say, hey, let's put some of them back for next year in case something happens to her? What, how is your philosophy on that? It's pretty hard to, to, to make any money on something frozen that sits there over a year. So you're all about turning it, just boom. Yeah, I, I, that's what I believe in. And the reason why I believe it, Kevin, is, you know, say you get a heifer. You know, and something works. Well, boy, I wish I had some more heifers. Well, I got to put those more embryos in. Well, you're a year behind. Okay. Well, sometimes I think that, and I think, you know, there's some genetics that still work pretty good that are 15 years old. So I guess I don't maybe get as fired up about turning them quite as quick, but I guess I was curious what you do. (laughs) And and we've just talked about kind of making steers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got a drather, is it, are you all about the show steers or are you kind of, are you kind of cool with it, making the show heifers too? Or when you make a female, you're trying to make a replacement or a future donor. I, I, as far as a female deal, I really enjoy the female deal, but, um, to me, I would rather make one, uh, not necessarily a show heifer. Um, I would rather make one as, you know, a maternal or, or a donor. Um, if they're good enough, I mean, yeah, a guy can show them, but it seems like, you know, the way that, uh, it just seems to me like, um, the ones that win a lot of shows, they don't make the return to investment as the ones that, that looked apart, if that makes sense. That are just sitting there being donor cows. Correct. Yep. And so we'll put a lot of that maternal stuff in. And we sell, we sell quite a few bulls, Kevin. I mean, we do. I mean, we'll get quite a few orders, you know, and, and, uh, and ship some bulls. We'll have a bull sale. Um, you know, there's just a lot of people that'll call me, Hey, I need a, I need a trailer load of 15 steers that, you know, are younger born in May or, you know, off colored or whatever, you know, and I can, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help them out. Yeah. 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 Because if you don't supply it, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's tough to get them back. Oh yeah. 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 I've always been a big believer. You know, if they call you and you don't have it, or if you put them off, they're going to dial the phone and call someone else and they'll have, they're going to keep calling until they get what they need. Correct. So you better have the inventory. I did uh Oh, I don't do many big, truly commercial bull sale, breeding bull sale picture videos, but, but I've got a couple each, each, each year that I do. And, you know, the one guy makes a point to tell me he likes to keep about 20 bulls back because it's amazing how many calls he gets after the sale, somebody needing a bull. So he likes to have bulls for him, or he likes to have bulls for that guy that didn't get enough bulls bought in their sale that he's got more bulls. Cause well, his thing is somebody calls after the sale, they miss the sale. He's going to get that customer for the future. So he wants to have a product there to sell them. Same way with what you're doing on what on the club cabs and on the bulls and, and on the steers. And the way I look at that bull deal is, is for every bull that you have on a sale, it's, it's just as easy to sell one the following day or two days later or a month later. Whether it's, hey, I had a bull get hurt or whether, hey, I missed that sale, what do you have? And yeah. I really enjoy, you know, I, I, I really enjoy uh, doing that more or less privately. You build better relationships. You bet. And, hey, you know, it was kind of there when you stepped into it, but you can't disagree that, that there was a brand or a program or a focus with Ryman Ranches. I mean, it, it was a hell of a name there. So people call, they want Ryman Genetics, and, and you've just got to continue offering a, a – quality product to them and they're going to keep coming back for it you know i'll never i'll never forget you know um 
um, Dr. Mims, great guy, great friend. You know, he came up, you know, after Nick's accident, you know, a month or two later and talked to my dad and myself and, you know, some of the others. And uh, he just says, you know, Barry, um, the sky's the limit. You know, the the hard work's already done, you know. Um, and I really, I really thought about that, you know, a long time. And, you know, that really answers, you know, kind of the question that you asked me, you know, what does a guy do? You know, the groundwork was already done the hard work i think yeah now, now the th uh do you have have you have you kept many do you have you kept many cows that are dirty or do you try to keep your cows clean very few um we have very few th carrier cows um and the reason is is uh for us we have a hard time um the TH carrier cows, as in, you know, say the monopoly heifers, the, you know, the heat wave heifers, miscellaneous, um, you know, up in this country, I mean, they kind of got a, you know, you get in the rocks and the hills. I mean, they kind of through calving and they got to raise a calf and, um, nothing against those cows at all. But, um, in my opinion, you know, uh, everyone wants one for a donor the thing is though is that uh it took a lot of them to get that one good donor if that makes sense yeah yeah i uh i want the females clean i mean if we got if we happen to have ph that's okay still i'm still cool with that but I want the females clean for TH and the bulls just to be just as, I mean, if the stronger that dirty gene is, the better for me. Cause I just, I want clean females. Correct. And that's what we strive for, you know, good maternal females that, you know, that will, you know, raise a steer. And if they don't raise a steer, raise a very, you know, um, you know, as far as an end product, you know, raise a calf that can be finished easily and sent down the road. Now, on the maternal side of genetics, kind of where do you put your, where do you kind of saddle up and say, this is what has worked for us? Maternal side. Do you have any particular sire groups or breeds? Do you keep them things semi? Do you keep them things, do you keep going back and using whiskey? Do you go back and use still force? Do you put a shot of shot of Maine or Angus in there. What's kind of your thought when you mass breed uh, for females or flush for females for that matter, go back to old Ollie or. Yeah, we've done that. You know, we've, um, we've went back to those older Maine bulls. Um, to me, um, I'm a big fan of those wizards. Um, I, I, you know, they, it just seems there's something about those cattle, you know, where they always raise a syllable calf. Um, I'm a big fan of those wizards. Um, and, and really, you know, you get a group like you've seen, you know, we get an alley full of cows and you start pulling straws out, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of, you know, split, split, split second thinking. Okay. But as far as, as far as, you know, if we're looking for a main bull or something like that, just so those cattle are good, it's about the only thing to me. Good hair, good bone, um, good depth of body, good neck, and you're usually checks all the boxes. Gotcha. Now, do you like, you, you guys, uh, <clears throat> you know, as I've drove through that, that, that set of calves, for the pasture sale, I didn't get there this year, but the last three or four years, I've made a point. Um, when I, I always make a point to go re Heights, Western Springs, hit Eflings, hit Thomas's, hit your place, hit a few other places. Just, I try to make, t- take about three days off and go up and kind of tour right in there in that heart of that September sale season. Cause well, there's just so many cattle to be seen. So many different sire groups. Uh, I'll go over to, to, to Elm Creek to Fawcett's and see Herefords and, and, and see Herefords and Charlays up at, up at Eflings and see Shars at, 
at Troy's and Eggleston's and there's just so many different cattle to be seen right there. It's just, man, if a guy doesn't go up there, has never done it, they've got to once and they'll be hooked on it. My next point is I pretty, them things are pretty much all black or some black baldies, some black brockles, some wild colored ones. I haven't seen a whole lot of color in those pastures. And you mentioned colored steers earlier. Uh, do you kind of breed kind of those? And that's something else. Yeah. How many springborns, how many fallborns are you making or summerborns? Um, summerborns will make probably, oh, right around 100. Okay. You, you know, it's very few. Um, and as far as the color deal, um, the color deal's coming. You know, I, uh, a lot of our open heifers and a lot of our future donor cows got, got a lot of color. Um, I wouldn't quite call it a rainbow ranch, you know, because it's all the colors under the, under the sun, but no, there's, it's, it's getting a lot more diverse than it was three or five years ago. You know, like this year, you know, we just kind of take things, you know, this year we were real dry, real early. Um, and we didn't think that we would have enough feed for the winter. You know, we thought we were going to have to sell down to numbers, a lot of numbers. Um, and then it started raining and never quit. Um, so we bought a lot of feeder calves this year, as in, you know, just from out west, just commercial steers. And um, we backgrounded, you know, backgrounded a lot of cattle. And we just, it's just another stream of business. You know, you, you just, uh, you know, you take what weather gives you, what, what Mother Nature gives you. See, and I'm calling to you from middle of Ohio, Ohio, Indiana, state line, and everybody out here, they're, they're just, it's been about two weeks since I've got, since I've seen one of them Snapchats of it up over their muck boots. We are so sick and tired of mud. Mm-hmm. And I know when we talked earlier, you guys have been getting some pretty decent rain and you guys get so little and you have so little mud to deal with. And it's so vital. I just, I just don't think people east of Des Moines can comprehend just how dry it gets west of, uh, you know, up and up into where you're at and on into the sand hills in Nebraska and how vital it, how, how it's tragic up, it can be without rain. Yes. And growing up, I was always told you got to remember the 11th commandment. And that is you're not married to your cows, meaning if the weather, you know, doesn't cooperate, you know, you can't fight Mother Nature. One one quick comment about that, Kevin. Uh, I was out in Wyoming during my travels, and uh, last time we checked on just kind of open cows to try to put some eggs into, it was significantly higher, but they they were so dry. And I don't know if any of this recent moisture has hit them. They had a blizzard last week, but... uh, this is maybe 10 days ago. You could get a open, open females for, I think the guy told me 13 or 1400 without a sword on temperament or anything like that. Crazy what uh, the lack of moisture will do to their uh, economy. If they don't get rain, they can't have feed and it's not good. So if, anyway. if they've got rain and feed, they can get pretty proud of them things. <laughs> they can. Especially the guys are trying to catch up that sold their cows previously. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, let's shift just a little bit and talk about the farming enterprises there. Uh, how many acres uh, Ryman Ranch farming? You know, we probably, as far as row crop, I'd say right around 4,000 acres. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, we uh, plant corn, soybeans. The last couple of years, we plant a lot of sunflowers. Um, and we've planted a lot of forages. Um, we... Uh, a lot of our corn we cut for silage or, um, you know, we'll feed out cattle or we'll do a lot of earlage, um, the background cattle. It just kind of whatever the market's kind of telling you to do in, in Mother Nature. Um, and as far as our sunflowers or sunflowers, um, they go to, uh, I don't know if you ever see it on your, uh, on your travels, but Wild Dutchman sunflowers at gas stations. Majority of our sunflowers go there. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. They're edible. I I do know it's uh, oh that gravel road like on the back way from Crickies to to Thomas's. There's one of them fields that have. There's a lot of sunflowers, and it just always 
again, we don't have them out here, and it just kind of makes me smile that they turn with the sun, and they just kind of, you know, turn their face to the sun all day, and they kind of turn, and I don't know, I just think that's cute or neat or different, or it's culturally different for me. Uh, yeah, we don't have the sunflowers out here, but that's interesting that you guys are starting to do a bunch of those. Well, and they, all jokes aside, sunflowers are really a weed, so it's they're not fun to race. <laughs> Well, they, uh, you know, what are you guys doing? Hey, that's going to be my new, my new line from here on out. Hey, you know, Ryman's, they're big into weed. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to make it in, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, something else that kind of an odd conversation. I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, um, when you were in high school, you went to, uh, was it you and, or I know, they were older, but like Fawcett and Nick and who all was on like the judging team together? Um, Rocky Foreman. Rocky Foreman. And Ken Jones. Okay. That's a pretty good group of Cowboys up in there. You know, after after Nick and Danny Fawcett's team and, and the Foremans, you know, there wasn't really uh, a lot of, uh, of more or less cattle people in that livestock judging time frame. Here's another fun story or a fun question. One time I was out there and it's pretty late at night and I didn't think about it, but I'm tooling around out there and I need to go back to Miller. And I realize it's like 30 minutes away and I've got no gas. <laughs> and your dad runs me out there to the gas tank and fills me up. So <laughs> how far of a drive was it for you guys on that school bus to get to school? Seven o'clock in the morning. And uh, is when we got on the bus and at eight 30, they dropped us off. Um, so it, it was an hour and a half bus ride. And I will say this, uh, growing up, uh, I learned more in that bus ride than I did in school about life. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you ride to school with Fawcett's and, and Foreman and, and those guys? Oh, there was a slew of us, you know. And, it, uh, and I mean... I, I get a chuckle out of my kids getting on that school bus, you know, outside going to school. And I think, you know, every morning at seven o'clock or seven ten now, they get on that school bus. And uh, I think, well, school school starts at seven o'clock when you're on that bus. <laughs> I'm guessing school in Miller, South Dakota has got to be pretty good compared to uh, maybe out here where we live now. Uh, the woman that eulogized Nick, the school teacher, the English teacher. Yep. Does she still teach up there? Or was she retired? She she retired. What was her name? I've tried thinking of her name all day today. Eleanor Iverson. Mrs. Iverson. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, she's she's a great a great human being and a great friend, and uh, she uh, she's a lot of fun. You bet. You bet. Now. She told the story at, at when she eulogized Nick about her and I meeting. Do you remember that story or did you know that I do. story? I do. And that was the first time I heard about it when you approached her at the gas station or, or something like that. We were, at a, we were in a motel in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. <laughs> and her husband's a big, stout, tall man. And I walked, I mean, when I say I walked into him, I had my head down looking at my phone and I literally walked, opened the door and walked right into this man who's six, six, 300. It looks like he could body slam me. <laughs> and, and oh, 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 I'm sorry, Mr. Excuse me. And we went and we swept up, swept off our cars together because there was a snowstorm. We both pulled over to get out of the snowstorm and we're sitting there uh, eating a little breakfast at the motel. And I find out, you know, she's your high school teacher. So she, uh, she said that you and your brother were absolutely two of the nicest kids she'd ever had coming through school. <laughs> of course you were. Well, I, I kind of know a little bit of the honorness between the two of you, but I didn't, I didn't let her in on that. <laughs> Matt Auden was the boy's name I was trying to think of a little yes. bit ago. Uh, yes, I would have judged with Matt Auden. Correct. Okay. But we weren't, I mean, we weren't nearly as as salty as, you know, the Fossets and the Foremans and the Joneses. Okay. Well, I know Matt likes to keep these short, so I'm kind of thinking how to wrap this up. You, you want to tell the story about Grandpa kind of getting in his ass about even I, we kind of we kind of moved off Grandpa, but 
the word was grandpa was not a fan of this show cow deal. You want to talk about that in here? <laughs> you know, when Nick was home from college, he, uh, he had this group of cows set up and, uh, to time breed them. Um, maybe that was the first year we decided to put embryos in or something and went out there and there's some Charlotte bulls running with them. Couldn't figure out how those bulls got there, but old, old Donnie Raymond, old grandpa, he just thought, you know, we should be making hay or we should be doing something else other than wasting our time. <laughs> he did not share the vision. He was all about quick returns and stuff like that. But also, though, you know, growing up, you know, he was born in the Depression, you know, and, and people, you know, you, you see a lot. You see a lot of different things that we've probably seen growing up in the childhood. But there wasn't a good line where he said when he wanted to buy them, them beetle stalker cows. Well, that's a dumbass thing to do. He never called <laughs> you guys as dumbasses. Oh, no. Hey, you couldn't tell Donnie Ryman that we bought those cattle. <laughs> you couldn't tell him? No, you couldn't tell him. No. And I, he, uh, you so know, you guys was... kept that. You, oh, yeah. Nick, Kent, and Nora all kept that. Yeah. From he, Grandpa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. By that time, he, he didn't fired. notice when 300 cows showed up. No, you can you can spread those things out pretty quick in the hills. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it, uh, I will say this, though, Nick, uh, there was a lot of good salesmanship that he, uh, had to, uh, talk my dad and, and my mom and, uh, and, uh, acquiring those cows. I can promise you that. I, I got a fun one, uh, maybe the first time. Let me tell me one, one Nick Ryman story. So anyways, Nick was kind of like me in that he always liked to be jacking around, a Kent Haberger type that always liked to be playing games. And Ward Eckloff is famous for always screwing around. Anyways, uh, I guess this, this really isn't a screw around story, but it's an interesting story. Chad, Chad Foreman had a, had a heat wave steer back in the day, 10 years ago or whatever it might have been. And uh, he, t- he called up Greg Cropa and said, Greg, I got a good calf for you. And Greg Cropa came up there and, and worked his appraisal on the calf. And, and by golly, Greg just didn't think he was quite good enough. So uh, anyways, Nick and, and Chad had a really extra amount of confidence in the calf. And guess what? Nick went and got him over to the Ryman Show Barn and reclipped him and said, Greg, I got a good calf for you. Come on up and take a look. Oh, and, God. Guess what hap- and guess what happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He went back to White Lake, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too for sure. I think that calf did a lot of winning, too. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I mean, honestly, Greg, I you're listening, but I'm going to tell you, I would take Nick Ryman's opinion over my own any day of the week. <laughs> thinking about people wanting Ryman genetics and I just uh, wanted to maybe mention that I haven't had the perfect uh, magic mating from the Ryman ranch I bought a couple of bulls from them but I just wanted to mention that uh, whenever you do get that mating from these uh, top tier breeders like the Ryman's and Ward Eckloff people come to them and they run fast on these show steer on the show steer deal like Ward Eckloffs, I've done a terrible job of marketing old Carney man. And this really isn't about my bullet. This is just more about the Ryman and Eckloff brands. Uh, people are taking the Carney man so fast. And I just think if it was raised by, uh, say, John Q. Farmer in the middle of Illinois, they, they wouldn't even care about Carney man. But four years deep into his career, he's going to quadruple his sales, if not more. And it has to do with uh, the Eckloff brand and much like that. Uh, you guys are the Ryman brand, so I, I want to get me a Barry Ryman bull. So you guys been being so serious, but I got to get my energy into this deal. Woo! <laughs> I was suspended or or threatened to be suspended. Kevin reamed my ass for for talking over guests the other day, and I posted it on. I posted a, a skit. <laughs> Kevin reaming my butt. And Kevin, have you had any feedback on that? Is anybody noticing that you screamed at Matt Lautner and he took it like a champ? Well, yeah, we talked about this, but yes, I, I've got some. The best one was uh, SL Craft texting me to mute, mute you more often. And at that point, <laughs> I, I had no idea what the hell SL was talking about because I hadn't heard that podcast yet. But you bet. Yep. 